morning. We are going to be in Romans 8. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible underneath your seat. You can find Romans 8 on page 550. My name is Genesee, by the way. All right, starting in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells with you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. You can sit down. You may be seated. Thank you, Genesee. Where's Chandler at? Are you in here, Chandler? There you are, my man Chandler Cruz. So you notice Chandler's not up there, but the guy looks a lot like Chandler. Chandler is off today. I told him not to work, but he's here anyways. It's his anniversary tomorrow. So I want to pray for Chandler John Cruz, our worship leader who's been doing it for since the beginning of our church. He's a sweetheart. He loves uh, people well. And here's the reality. Chandler blesses us in a lot of ways, but just the reality is this church has blessed him and Lexi and their marriage uh, a ton. To be in a church foundation as you kick off marriage, trying to do it right, has just been a huge blessing. They did premarital here. They've been involved. So I just want to pray for Chandler. He didn't know I was going to do this, but I don't really care. So, uh, <laughs> so let's just bow our heads and pray for Chandler and Lexi as they head towards year two of marriage. God, we love Chandler. We love Lexi. A lot of us see Chandler and are led by Chandler uh, in so many significant ways in our walk with Jesus. Um, but at the core is his relationship to you and his relationship to Lexi. So we just thank you for two years of commitment and faithfulness and love. We pray for uh, 20 more years and 20 plus that and 20 plus that. Just pray that this would be a great foundation that is being laid for him and Lexi as they look ahead to the future. Pray for a great celebration as they look back on your faithfulness in their life over the last few years. Lord, we love you. Thank you for marriage. Thank you that uh, you made it, created it, and you tell us to honor it. So God, uh, thank you for this example, even in these young couples in this church. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I think I'm just going to keep praying a lot. And Jim and Nancy, one of my favorite couples here, if you don't know them, you would love them. They stand at the door and greet. But they're heading off. They are RVers. They are one of those couples that love to be together in close quarters while the, one of them is driving, which is <laughs> not me and my wife's sweet spot in our marriage. But uh, I do want to pray for you guys because I love you. And it's just a unique journey. We're all got our own journeys, and that's part of your story. I love it. So let me pray for you guys. God, be with Jim and Nancy as they head off. Pray for lots of memories. Pray for uh, lots of gratitude, moments where they stop and they see creation or they see you at work or they look in each other's eyes and they're just reminded of the goodness of our God and that they would be led to worship over and over and over again. And for all the random and different sorts of people they're going to meet on this journey, I pray that they would be salt and they would be light. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we get to dive into this passage. Uh, here's what Christianity is about at its core. It's a story. 
Often religion gets lumped into this sort of religious category where it's a competition of who has the best principles, who has the best rules, and who has the best deity enforcing and punishing those rules and those rule breakers. But Christianity at its core is a story. This book is a story. The very first words are in the beginning. The end of the book is, and when it's all said and done, here's what's going to happen. Here's the culmination of all things. It is a story. That's also true of everyone else in the room. Our life is a story. It is a journey. It is a path that we are on. Whether you acknowledge God or not as part of that journey, we're all on this journey. One of my favorite authors from back in my like angsty college days is this guy named Donald Miller. He wrote this famous book, Blue Like Jazz, where it's just him kind of living in this gray, angsty Christian space, college years, basically. He was like, Mad at your parents, mad at the world. Oh, they've all done it wrong. I'm going to do it better. And then he's kind of shifted, and now he's this business guru, and he's killing it in the business world. But he's still got the same like core to him. He's a storyteller. And what he helps business do now is to tell better stories. And he takes it all back to this book called The Seven Basic Plots. It's a famous book, basically saying every story, every movie is, comes down to one of seven basic plots. You've got overcoming the monster. You've got rags to riches. You don't have like a thousand story templates. There are seven. In Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Big George Foreman, which I just saw, it's all about one of those seven stories. And he says, here's the elements. Here's the basic key ingredients in any story. The story has a character. I'm the main character in my story. You're the main character in your story. Luke Skywalker is a pretty big deal in a certain story who has a problem. He meets a guide or she meets a guide who gives them a plan, calls them to action, and that helps them avoid failure and ultimately achieve success. Every story is George Foreman was rags to riches. He meets a guide. He goes to Job Corps. He learns how to box. He meets Jesus. Here's my question for this passage that Genesee just read. Who is your guide? Like every story, every human soul in this room is a character in your story, in a grander story that God is writing, but who is your guide? Who is it? And I know the, the, the church answer is to shout out, you want to say it? Jesus! And that's like partially true. And you're like, that sounds heretical. Here's what I, here's what I wanted to call this uh, time with us this morning is the middle child of God, yeah. the forgotten one, the Holy Spirit. The forgotten guide in most of our lives is the Holy Spirit. And here's what we're talking through today. We've got the forgotten guide. We've got not, and here's what I'm going to tell you. You have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has you. Paul, up to this point in the book of Romans, has not mentioned the Holy Spirit. The last two sermons we've seen, we, he's started to trickle in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and now he's just going to shotgun blast. All he can talk about is the Spirit. Why? Because as you're unfolding in the book of Romans, where we're at is actually living out the Christian faith. And how do you live out the Christian faith with your guide? Who is your guide? Your guide is the Holy Spirit. And what is Paul going to tell us? That you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has you. Those are the two questions. What does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean that the Holy Spirit has us? That's it. That's what we're talking to today. So I want to pray once again and just ask the Holy Spirit to actually uh, get a little more credit this morning.
and a little more awareness in each of our lives in like real ways, not like churchy ways where you church it up and you don't really know what you're talking about. But like actually, the Holy Spirit is more a part of our daily walk as we head out of here. So let's pray and ask for that. Father, you have given us your son. You have sent your spirit. And our confession is the spirit is the is mystical, confusing, hard to pin down and grasp all the time. And in our tradition of teaching the Bible and being a good Bible church, we often miss the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to miss him. We want to know him deeply. And we want him to know us deeply and us to be in communion together as we walk this journey of life together. So Lord, be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's kick it off here. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 9 through 13. Here's what we're doing today. You, however, and I do this a lot, but it's on purpose. Stop right there. <laughs> last week, if you remember, this is going to be sad for Xavier, but remember last week all the stuff Xavier talked about? Most of you would be like, Xavier preached last week? I don't quite <laughs> That's just life of the preacher. You like put your heart and soul out, and you preach this amazing message, and your wife's like, it was, uh, you were talking about something, I forget. Uh, I'll remind you, Xavier had a great message last week that was a generic statement that is true. And the pronouns being used last week were th those. Those who are like this, those who are like this, those who are like this. It was a generic statement, not generic like bland and lame, generic like universally true of life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. And now Paul says, you... However, it's like me coaching Little League. You Bisbee D-backs, but you Watts, you're different. I'm talking to you, Roman. <laughs> Paul is now talking to us Christians. So if you're not a Christian, this is not necessarily for you. That doesn't mean you're not going to benefit. I would lean in and listen to the heart of Christianity and the guide that God has given us. But Christian, you, however, how does Paul describe the Christian? Right after that verse, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Notice he doesn't even use Jesus to describe what it means to be a Christian. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. As we meet as a preaching collective from week to week, all the lead pastors and teachers, communicators of redemption, somebody brought up this point. I think a lot of our people are confident in their salvation. Like, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, because Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection, and I have placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Yes, good news. Amen. Yes, I am sealed, sealed, sealed. Amen. 100% confidence. What's your life like with the Spirit? Oh, it's like an overconfidence in salvation, in the end game of all things, in forgiveness and eternal life, which is important. Don't hear me saying that's not. However, our journey from here so when our day one in eternity begins, this path right here is what all of us should be concerned about in this moment. How am I going to get from here to here? I think we need more confidence and awareness in the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking in the mirror right now. It's the Holy Spirit. And my hope this morning is that we would grow a deeper confidence and awareness of the Spirit. So here's our first question. I told you we got two. The first one is simply... What does it mean that we have the Spirit? What does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit? I want to read verse 9 through 11 and then walk through it together. Uh, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So on the screen there, the Spirit is talked about five times each time the description changes. First up, in fact, the Spirit of God, or literally God's Spirit, dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, different language, same person of the Trinity, Spirit is life, spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. And then finally, the spirit who dwells in you. Who, what does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit? It means that we have that, all that, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of him who raised all that. And I want to just walk through and just kind of unpack each of those to know what it means that we have the spirit. So first description, verse 9 if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Here's the first description, is we have the Spirit of God. We have God's Spirit. And not in a goofy spirituality sense, like, oh, there's spirits out there. Deity, creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-aware, all-present, all-everything, God of the universe, God, Spirit, we have. You have the Spirit of God, or Holy Spirit if you're Protestant, or Holy Ghost if you're old-school Catholic. We have the Holy Spirit, God. Like, I know some of you are like, I get that. And it's interesting, membership class here, we talk about the Trinity because it's key to basic Orthodoxy, if you don't get the Trinity right, you become a cult the second you get the Trinity wrong, just so you know. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you need that like as a basis. Nobody really asks questions on the Trinity, which I think it's like kind of in our waters. But here's what I, I know to be true in the future. If our church is going to be sort of a place that God uses to reach a couple people groups, Muslims, we're going to have to like do battle and show what the Trinity actually is. And also the transgender movement. As people meet Jesus in a variety of iterations of where they think they are on the gender spectrum, whatever they think that means, and they've sort of blurred the lines and boundaries of a God who creates male and creates female, and they come in here and we try to describe God, boundaries begin to matter in how you describe the Father and the Son and the Spirit and clearly, distinctly explain them matters. So I know right now it doesn't seem all that important, but just know this is a key point that we believe. Here's the easiest way to describe it if you're sitting over coffee with somebody, a Jehovah's Witness, or this is very simply, God's in the center. He's triune. God is Father. God is Son. God is Holy Spirit. However, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. And the Son is not the Spirit. Three distinct gods, all 100% God. They're not like chipped off parts of the God, fully God, Father, Son, Spirit. And Paul says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The God Spirit. And just real 
I, I do want us to turn there. Go back to Acts chapter 5. I don't normally do this, but just to kind of show how you would have to do your homework if you're sitting across coffee with uh, somebody from another religious expression that disagrees with you. Why do we think the Holy Spirit is God? Well, we feel like the Bible says it a lot. But here's where we see it very clearly in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. This is a sad story. I mean, people get killed, but it describes who the Spirit is. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So he lied to the Holy Spirit. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, your disposal? Like, it's your money. Why are you playing this game? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. Who did he lie to? The Holy Spirit. And he says, you lied to God, the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is... God, you can flip back. I won't make you do any more Bible homework. But I, we have the God Spirit in us. Some of the descriptions of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, helper, advocate, counselor, teacher, lots of beautiful descriptions. Like we've got lots of counselors, teachers, advocates in our church. Like picture you pulling the best of what those resources are. And you had, had them at your disposal any moment. Hey, Eli, hey, Mia, I got a counseling question. We have the Spirit of God who is all those things, far more than any of us human examples of those. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a helping God, a counseling God, an advocating God, an authoring God in other places. This is the Holy Spirit. He is God, and we have him. Let's not forget that. What makes you a Christian? Describe your Christianity. Part of it should include, I have the Holy Spirit. Now, people aren't going to make sense of that. It's going to be confusing. But you yourself have to first and primarily tell yourself, I have the Holy Spirit. Here's the second description we see in this. Verse 9. And this is sort of a negative spin. Middle of the uh, verse there, the second sentence, Paul says this, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What's the second description, Paul says, we have the spirit of Christ. Notice first what he's saying. He's describing life without Jesus. What does it mean to not be a Christian? It means a lot of things, but in this context, it means you don't have the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be a Christian? It, on the flip side, it means you have the Holy Spirit, Period. You have the Holy Spirit or you don't. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a follower of Jesus. You are a Christian. You are signed, sealed. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. And you're like, I've never been presented with language. I went to this camp with Xavier. Xavier's actually the teacher that led me to Christianity. He never told me any of this. I get it. Xavier's got a lot of work to do. However, <laughs> here's where I have some compassion on some of our brothers and sisters. We have... If I had to break it down, we're like 80% kind of trying to figure out how to be a little more charismatic and 20% like true charismatic people in this church, meaning like the spirit is part of their development in their Christianity. And here's a false teaching in charismatic circles. You are not a Christian or proved to be a Christian until you speak in tongues. 
You get the Holy Spirit when you get converted. And the proof of that is when miraculous things happen, namely tongues. It's wrong, but I have compassion for it. Why? Because if Paul is true, and if you have the Spirit of God, you're good. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not a Christian. I want to know if I have the Spirit of God. So one way certain traditions have said, well, here's how you know is you speak in tongues. The problem with that is the vast majority of people I know that love and follow Jesus have never spoken in tongues, even those who have asked for it. And the other big one is the Bible seems to say that's not at all what's happening. But if you have the Spirit, you have Jesus. What kind of Spirit? You have the Spirit of Jesus. Spirit of God, now Spirit of Jesus. Is this like breaking down the Trinity triangle I just made? Because this sounds like, okay, how do I, what does the Spirit of Jesus even mean? Father, Father, let me try to remember his triangle. I know he told me I'm supposed to remember part of a sermon. Okay, Father's here, Son's here, Spirit's here. They're all God, but they're not each other. Is this saying the Spirit and Jesus are sort of interchangeable? No. Like human examples would be if you're a twin. We got the McCutcheon boys, they're twins. They're going to, 40 years from now, so much of their personality is going to be overlapping in their line of thought and their emotional, they're going to be like synced up deeper than a lot of us are with our siblings. Why? Because that's the blessing of being a twin. You shared a womb. You're going to have some inside their language. Like You're going to have some inside jokes. The other one would be a marriage that lasted the long haul, 60, 70 years. And you, you sort of just become what the Bible says you are going to become, one flesh. And you think alike and you react alike and you see things alike and you like become each other. Those are very baseline descriptions of like intimacy that the Spirit and Jesus have on a far more colorful, profound, and deep level. What does it mean that's the Spirit of Jesus? I think they're in such unity and harmony with each other that you could say the Spirit of Jesus, and he's the Spirit who talks about Jesus. A few things just biblically. Here's what we know. The Spirit was actually sent by Jesus. He says, guys, wait around. He says this, which is nuts. You're going to do far greater things. And they're like healing people. They've seen people rise from the dead. They're like, I mean, picture the most charismatic expression of a church you've ever been in. And that, but it's real and it's all true. And all this crazy stuff is happening. And Jesus in the middle says, just so you know, there's going to be greater things that happen. And the only thing that changes to make that happen is the Spirit comes down on them and fills them. Jesus sends the Spirit. The Spirit speaks of Jesus. He has one goal, the fame and glory of Jesus Christ. He's like the ultimate hype man. Like all he wants is, no, don't look at me. Look at him. 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 So that's why you can say the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Jesus not be the same. What's the Spirit about? He's about Jesus. Why? Because that's what we should all be about. He speaks to the personhood of Jesus, like the WWJD bracelets are making a comeback, which I love. But what does it mean that the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings to mind in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, the person of Jesus and what Jesus would do if he were you with your personality in this situation. What would Jesus do? The Spirit of Jesus is he who tells you, shows you, convicts you, points you in the direction and the Spirit empowers us to live the cross-centered life. 
Jesus says, here's what following me is like. Pick up your cross and now come follow me. Not in a Roman Catholic, like earn your salvation and take a beating for your sins. But more so, life is going to consist way more of death and deaths than you want to realize. Especially you youngsters. Like maturity in Christ is death and death and death. And I don't mean like hospice our grandparents. I mean like literally you're in a moment and what God is calling you to do is to die to yourself. How do you do that? The spirit of Jesus empowers you to take up your cross. And you have that spirit. The spirit of Jesus is in you to do all this to make Jesus the most famous person in your mind, to make Jesus the most practical how to do this life in your mind. What do I do now? What would Jesus do? The spirit of Jesus is there for you. You have the spirit of God. You have the spirit of Jesus. And more than that, third description, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. We have the spirit, I'll just put in there, who is life? Zoe, Zoe, one of the great girl names I know we get to use. Zoe, the spirit is life, although the body is dead. What is Paul talking about here? All throughout Romans 8, he talks about flesh and body. Is body synonymous with flesh, namely that sin-oriented itself that Xavier talked about last week that leads us in directions we don't want to go, or is this something different? I think Paul has separated the flesh down. What he's talking about is our actual bodies. Like inside our body is death, decay. For some of us, the thing that is going to kill us is already inside of us right now. I know that's morbid, but we got to be reminded of death somewhere, and I think the church is the spot where you kind of think through what that means. Our bodies are dying, decaying. I can't kick allergies. That's like my minor death. It's like, what is that? It's death in my body. Some of you are dealing with far greater realities than that. Why? Because the body is dying. Why? Because sin corrupted the world, and part of that, God said, the punishment on us all would be death. And now we live in a body of death. As my wife says, age wins. Like, we can put as much money into this process if we want. Chandler looks great, a lot of energy, love the guy, but he's heading more in my direction than he realizes. This is your reality, my man. <laughs> and here's the reality. Universally, everyone believes this and knows this. But uniquely, what does the Christian believe in light of this? We've got a lot of Jesus answers for this, but I just want you to know the spirit answer is this, is that the spirit who is life is inside of you right now. The source and origin of all of life and all the universe is in you. That's amazing, like the world is dying, decaying, and the, what Romans later says, we are the first fruits, we are the movie trailer for what the world is going to be. Well, what is the like trailer piece of our life that we can hold on to? He would say, we have the Holy Spirit. We have life in us. That life that is going to last for eternity is in us now because of the Spirit. One of our old members that I love, Vince Lombardi, super tall guy, some of you remember him, very charismatic guy. And he would just be open and honest with his struggles. And he'd always go back to this verse. He who is in me 
is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in me, and he has no theological training. He has not a lot to offer in terms of what he knows about the Bible, but he knows he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. What's he saying? The spirit is life is in me. And that, you can't take that away from me. The spirit who is life is in me. Here's the fourth description, verse 11, of the Holy Spirit. If, let's read verse, yeah, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's the fourth description. It's the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now this gets very practical and way less mystical on what the spirit's doing. What is being said here? The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is also gonna raise our mortal bodies. What does that mean? Jesus Christ walked out of his own grave. Our dead bodies, no matter how decayed they are when Christ returns, will be resurrected. And the spirit that is in us now will be in that same resurrection body. Period. No one can take that away from us. And that answers a lot of issues that universally we all have. Here's one of the questions we have. What about this life? So much of Christianity seems like escaping to the next life and leaving behind stuff that we actually enjoy here and is good here. Christianity doesn't teach that. The Greeks taught that, and it seeped into how Christians view the world. But this earth was made by God, and he said, it's good. And then he made a marriage, and he said, real good. And then we screwed it up real bad. But he's going to restore it. Just like he restored Jesus' body, he's going to resurrect it. So the things of this world that you think, how could God just create this for a season and then take it away? What's good here will last if it's of the Lord. That's a uniquely Christian thought, by the way. No other religion thought of that. Why? Because they're all man-made. What's good here now will last. Here's the second question. What about death? Like the ultimate question. We're all heading to the same end line. In the resurrection of Jesus, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will raise our mortal bodies. We have an answer for death. What is it? The spirit raised him the Spirit will raise me. That's good news. And then what about me? Like, what is my hope in all this? And again, I don't, I don't want to pit Jesus and the Spirit against each other. I just want to prioritize the Spirit in this moment. We have Jesus' answers to that. Well, what about me? And it's the cross and it's confession and forgiveness. But the Spirit is the working agent in all this. How do I know with confidence that I will be raised and my death is just a blip on the radar of my life story? Paul says this, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He will give life to your mortal body, Josh. Joe, Bob, he will raise that body once again. This is the spirit we have in us. And then finally, the summary statement in all this, at the very end of verse 11 there, he simply says this, he will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's the, just the bow on all this. What does it mean that we have the spirit? We have the Holy Spirit and he dwells in us. Every human on earth is made in the image of God. That's for all people. They all reflect the glory of God. Sin has broken that and now the reflection is torn and tattered and blacked out a bit. But Christian, now you're not only the image of God, but you are the address. Like where is God right now? The Bible would say he's everywhere. He's here. And then this passage reaffirms he's here. He's dwelling inside of me as a follower of Jesus. 
You have the Holy Spirit in you. The 80-year-old in the room, the 8-year-old in the room, just, just to level the playing field, has the same Holy Spirit. He doesn't pass out kid versions of himself. We have the Holy Spirit, all of us that are in Christ, in the Spirit. We have the Spirit. Now, here's the big question. Now what? Here's how I think I would have written this for some of us. Well, let's worship. Let's get crews back up here and let's sing to the Holy Spirit. Let's do this. Get on up here. That's not what happens. Or let's love God and love others and yeah. He actually kind of puts a vice grip on us. It's like me talking to my kids, grabbing by the collar, and then after all that beautiful, what it means that we have the Spirit. Now, what does it mean that the Spirit has us is the question. Verse 12 through 13. Let's just read it, and then we'll finish out walking through. What does it mean that the Spirit has us? So then, brothers, in light of what we just talked about, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does Paul say? You got the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Him who raised, Spirit of all. This amazing Holy Spirit is yours. So then, brothers, sisters, we are debtors. And that word debtors means debtors. We owe Him. Not for salvation, but for our life. From here to day one of eternity, who do we owe our life to? The Spirit to guide us. Other versions say we are obligated. Like who do you sense an obligation to outside of family? Like bosses we can write off. The Spirit says you are obligated to me. You are insubordinates of me. You should be controlled by me, is what Paul says. All that stuff is true. We have the Spirit, and it's amazing. But now the Spirit says, I also have you, and you are in debt to me. Like, here's the question I wrote. What has the Spirit told you to do in the last seven days? Like, last seven days. If this is true, the Holy Spirit is as great as he is, And now he says and pulls us in and says, I have you. The last seven days, has he told you anything? Part of it, what's hard is, well, I don't know. You know, I think. But was it my wife? I mean, she's been telling me to do that for a long time. (laughs) Was it my dad? Like we're all, that's what makes the Holy Spirit hard. Jesus, I get. The cross, I can picture. Forgiveness, I can understand. God, the Father, I can get. This family relationship. And then the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit that I'm in debt to, that I'm obligated to follow and to give my life over to let His control be the control of my life. Here's how it works in my life. And I think, like, the Holy Spirit doesn't go outside of your personality makeup or your language. You speak English. The Spirit's not speaking to you in Japanese. You're an introvert. The Spirit's not speaking to you with extroverted craziness. 
Like I'm a big time internal processor, the lone, lonely internal processor in all of my family. Everyone wants to talk from the moment they wake up and start processing. So, and I just want to sit and think. And most of the time when the Spirit has nudged me, moved me, prodded me, reminded me, it's been in this like mental self-reflection mode. I'm like, is that the Spirit? It's like saying sorry to your wife for that thing. I don't know if that's the Spirit. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, I'm, I, I got gas. I, maybe it's gas. <laughs> like that's what the Spirit does. He controls our life. And not like just long-term, like the end goal of our vocation and our family, but like our life right now and as we head out of here. Francis Chan wrote a great book on the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. He has, a great, he has lots of great quotes in there, but he says this, my hope is that instead of searching for God's will for my life, each of us would learn to seek hard after the Spirit's leading in my life today. May we learn to pray for an open and willing heart to surrender the Spirit's leading with that friend, child, spouse, circumstance, or decision in our lives right now. Let me just underline a few just to give you some prompts. That friend, that child, that spouse or ex-spouse or soon to be spouse or it should have been spouse by now, one of those, circumstance or decision, the Holy Spirit loves you and he's God and he's got good answers and prompts to that, not always easy ones, but where is he prompting you? Like in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus is doing his ministry, doing his ministry, you know, talking to his Jewish friends and telling all that. And then it says, he must go to Samaria. It's like, he's doing just fine ministry. And then there's this like urgent, like he must go out of the way to this land where no one else wants to go. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit controlling the life of Jesus. There's going to be moments where the Spirit tells you, you must go, say, do, pause, Sit silent, reflect, give that money away, sell that thing, don't take that promotion. You don't understand why. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Here's my question for us, just to live out this question for our guide. If we're the main character in our story, and the Holy Spirit is this guide God has given us, Holy Spirit, what must I do now is a simple prayer you can pray. What do I do now? What do I do now? And even this would be a nice way to end, but Paul keeps going. And he just goes right, right at us. Like, Paul is relentless. I would hate to be at family dinners with him. He just keeps going. Like, nothing is left out. Here's the next verse, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's he say here? Just to show you. But if by the Spirit you... Here's what I think the ways we deal with sin. Minimize. I don't know if that's that big a deal. You're saying my sexual sin with my girlfriend or fiance is worse than that? Come on. My use of money is worse than that guy? It's minimizing so that you don't have to do what Paul actually tells you to do by the Spirit with that sin. Or you rationalize. Like in your head, you, I mean, this is like, I don't know if this is just me or most guys, but like we are so good at this. 
Like we can just rationalize away like, this whole world is crazy. They need a little more me because I see clearly how this is not my issue. You rationalize. What else we do? We blame shift. Like that's Adam and Eve. This is parenting 101. It's Roman's fault. It's Jude's fault. It's Ozzy's fault. It's the dog's fault. We don't have a dog. Well, then it's Jude's fault. It's this person's fault. It's this person. Where did you learn that from, kids? This is the most ridiculous. And then I walk out of the room and say, Aubrey, I, I think this is your fault. And then the kids are like, this is, we blame shift. We divert. Especially if you're like a happy-go-lucky. I don't want to be caught in this, like pinned against a corner. So you create a diversion. You partially confess. I mean, this is hard because there's some nasty sin. And like to say all of it is just like, ah. Oh. You partially, well, I, I did this. When in reality, like, there's a story worth behind that. You merely confess. And I want to say this to our younger generation. This is one of my fears in church going forward with a lot of 25 to 35-year-olds. Because authenticity and realness wins the day. And I'm generally pretty authentic and real, so people are like, you know, my pastor, he's real and authentic. And I, I think I am. And I think we are. But that's not the goal of church. The goal is not to be in groups or surrounded by other Christians where you confess your junk and say, I'm authentic. The goal is holiness, righteousness, Christ-likeness, godliness. And the way you get there is through confession and authenticity. You don't land there. And it, I don't want to become a cul-de-sac where we've got a bunch of 28-year-olds who feel like this is the place where I can share my stuff. Yes. But if you don't get pushed to better stuff, this is no longer acting like a church. And no longer living out Romans 8. Confess your stuff, all your stuff, and let those by the Spirit push you in the direction you need to be going. I hate this, by the way. That's why you don't, we all hate this, but it's what Christianity is. You have a worldly grief. You just like, you feel bad about your consequences. Or you claim victimization. This is another worry. Well, it's my parents and all the trauma they caused. Yes, that is an issue that I want you to get counseling for and therapy and really work through and heal the wounds. But to take this, and to that be the reason why you do everything in your life, good or bad, is not the goal of Christianity either. You deal with this, like the hurt inside of us. But Ezekiel, Israel's just annoying Ezekiel. And one of his lines where he just lays into him, one of the complaints was all the kids are like, this is my parents' fault. Have you seen how my dad parents? It's like the world right now. He's like, you will die because of your sin, young man. And you will die because of your sin, old man. Deal with your sin. Don't claim victim. Deal with the stuff that has actually been done to you where you are a victim. But that is not the umbrella, state, umbrella statement over your life now. We are sinners and we are sufferers. Both. What does Paul tell us to do? Just read it again. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Jesus would say it like this. Is this thing causing you to sin? Cut it off. Is this thing causing you to sin? Tear it out. Is this thing causing you to sin? Chop it off. And he does not nuance it, and then he walks away. <laughs> like, cut it off. Right. Jesus says it's better to go to heaven 
with one less leg than to burn in hell forever with two legs. You're like, yikes. The Holy Spirit thing was great in the beginning, but it just landed hard. That's what Paul did. So we want to be faithful to the text. The Holy Spirit is not meant here just to be your cheerleader and hype person. He's got a goal for your life and my life. And here's the question asked the Holy Spirit this week. What must I put to death this week? Here's just a reminder. You have the Holy Spirit, Christian. God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of life, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit who now dwells in you. You have the Spirit. And in the same coin, you flip the side, the Spirit has you. And he wants two things from you. You are now in debt to him. What do you want me to do, Spirit? And he wants you to put to death by that same Spirit the things that are killing you, whether you think so or not. That's the Holy Spirit. What a gift. Like, what better guide in this journey of life than God himself by his Spirit in our life? Amen? Let's pray together. God, give us a, uh, a real appreciation and deeper understanding of the Holy Spirit. Individually, as we all take steps in our own journey that must be taken with our own two feet, in our own thoughts, in our own ways, pray that we would really sense your Spirit in us and through us. And we would ask him those questions and we would listen to the answers he gives. And for us as a church, that we would cultivate an appreciation and an awareness and a longing for the Spirit to speak, to speak life, to speak truth, to speak wisdom, to speak counsel, and that we would collectively listen to the Spirit. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit. He was our guide. He was our comfort. He who is God who now dwells in us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.